make this a quick one because I got to feed Oscar. He's going to start whining soon. He's, he's not in here, but I'm, he's going to start moaning and howling and I'm the only one home and he needs to get fed. So make it quick. And also because I got my Portuguese exam on Saturday and I need to start studying more seriously. I've been studying a bit. But I got to like buckle down in the last couple of days for this Saturday test. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time editing this, which is the real issue. It's not the recording time. It's the editing, which is at least twice as long for these sports ones. I could just do no problem. I, I barely even edit those, but these need editing because it's a little more complex. Anyway, a bunch of stuff. I just quote tweeted a Ted Bell tweet on, that, that he made. It's a thread about how corrupt the FBI was after the 2016 election with the whole collusion thing and the steel dossier and how they knew it was a lie, but they just kept it going for partisan purposes because they really did not accept the 2016 election. And then the gaslighting about how the people who don't accept the 2020 election are, you know, they're somehow like terrorists or something. But I was just saying how I don't retweet those as much as I'm inclined. He also has a lot of threads, Ted Bell at E44 Teddy. I guess Arch Indy is just the, the handle, but his actual the actual Twitter handles at E44 Teddy, Ted Bell's Twitter. And he makes a lot of threads about, and they're, they're usually, you know, documents and citations and source material about how, say, you know, Pfizer never used the approved, the official approved vaccine. They're still using the emergency use because that shields them from liability. And he just has threads with all the documents. And I'm inclined to retweet like so many of them. And I only retweet a couple because I feel like when you're talking to, an audience, there's people who already get it. They already know. So that doesn't really matter. I mean, oh, it makes them feel good. Oh, other people are saying this, but it's not really uh, for them. And everybody else or a lot of people, like they just completely shut their brains off when it comes to this stuff. I've had conversations with people where, where you point out just basic things like, well, why should they take it if they've already had COVID and it doesn't stop the spread? And they're like, because they, other people are there. They don't want to catch it. And you'll say, yeah, but they know it doesn't stop the spread. And they'll say, yeah, but because... And they'll say, I don't want to talk about this. Let's just move on. Like their brain cannot confront the cognitive dissonance of, oh, this thing I believe that I've trained myself to believe doesn't make logical sense. And if somebody starts pressing me on this, it, it gets uncomfortable. And so they just don't want to think about it. And I feel like it's, forget about just the vaccine. That's just a very narrow example. But anything that's sort of against the tribal edicts, anything that says, well, you know, what about the reaction to the 2016 election? What about anything that is that is not, allowed, they just see it as some sort of attack on them. And it reminds me, I was talking to somebody a few years ago and is an old friend of mine and he was having trouble with some relationship and he was saying the stuff and I was saying, well, why don't you just say to her like, Hey, don't you, don't you feel like you have some responsibility in this? Why don't you just tell her what you're thinking about? You know, maybe you did X, Y, and Z, but okay, that's fair. But don't you have responsibility for your own feelings, your own reactions to things? It's not like he was doing anything violent or anything criminal. He just, you know, she was upset about things he had said or whatever. And he said that, that if he, if he told her that, or he had, you know, tried before, if he did that, she would just see it as another attack to say, Hey, well, that's fine. Like I own my part of it, but don't you feel like you have responsibility in this too, that your reactions, your emotions, your response is also on you. And he's like, he can't say it because even that, even though that's a perfectly reasonable thing to ask someone to consider, 
would just be seen as another attack. It would just be seen as more of what she was already mad at him for. And this is exactly how I see the political environment or even things like COVID. You can't even talk about health or boosters or whatever, because if you're like, well, look, the way they're treating the 2020 election skepticism as like, if you're a terrorist, if you don't think that was on the level or you're questioning it, but then they don't even seem to remember that four years ago, they didn't just not accept it. They waged a fraudulent multi-year mainstream media campaign to you know, make it seem like there was collusion, that it wasn't, that it was a foreign entity that was responsible for it. And if you bring that up, it's not like a conversation you can really have because they just think, oh, you, conspiracy theory. And what does that mean, conspiracy theory or disinformation? Or if you say, you know, you're censoring other points of view, censorship, all these words, they're not really processed in the way that a rational person were processing them. Like, well, hmm, I guess we are censoring. What are the merits of that? What are the problems with that? Is it something I'm really for? Or disinformation. What do I mean by disinformation? How do I know that what you're saying is false? And dealing with it logically, like actually engaging in what the meanings of those words are, or it's just all the shit you're saying is just an attack. It's just a, a partisan conspiracy theory. It's just something that I don't agree with. It's something that is attacking the belief system that I have carefully put in place in order to belong to my tribe. And I've put this belief system in place. Perhaps I haven't ironed out every little last detail, but it's not my job to pay attention to politics. And I have put this in place. And now you are just, you're not actually asking legitimate questions that a citizen or a person might have. You are attacking the foundations of my beliefs. You are basically just sort of an enemy of my tribe. That's all it is. You're just identifying yourself as an enemy. You're not like, hey, I don't give a shit. I'm not for either tribe. I did not vote for Trump. I don't like Trump. I don't care about Trump. I don't care at all. I don't want him to run for president in 2024. It has nothing to do with that. I'm not part of the other tribe. I'm literally just asking questions as a human being and a citizen because things don't add up. Things are not on the level and people are acting as though skepticism for one election is different from skepticism on another election. And they are just distorting the truth, basically. And that is something as somebody who tries to find out what's true, that it's important to me to believe what's true more than what's convenient. I am asking these questions, but I cannot really ask these people these questions because they don't see them as questions, as propositions that they are with the words that are used, what those words mean. They just see it as you're attacking my position. You're attacking my tribe. And even if it's not an attack and if they're not angry, you are eroding the foundations of their beliefs. And those beliefs are important because those beliefs allow them to get along in their circles. They must believe what they believe because all these fucking other people believe that shit. All these people spout the same stuff. And you cannot, if you don't believe that, it's very weird to be around people. We were in Mexico City, a very nice person that we had met was saying, and thank God for these vaccines, you know, and that's why the pandemic's ended. And I didn't say, you know, they don't stop the spread. That's not why it's ended. But I just saw that she believed that. And just being around that was sort of like, uh, it's not going to be that fun because we can't have conversations on a whole variety of topics that I think are relevant and interesting. And so that's going to alienate me from a person. Not, you know, it doesn't mean we can't be friendly or hang out, but it just means there's this sort of fundamental divide in our realities, which is uncomfortable and unpleasant for, for a connection. And so these people have needed to believe it, even if they don't care, even if they're not even the virtue signaling partisan warriors that are desperate to, to show everybody how they're fighting the evil, 
even if they're not like that, even if they're just chill, don't really want to get into it, they have arranged their beliefs in such, to such an extent that to get along with the people in their orbit, the majority of whom believe all this stuff. And so I see this tweet from, from Ted Bell, and I, I did retweet it this time, but I put in the disclaimer, if I see a couple of these every week, once a week or whenever he does it, and I think, wow, I want to quote tweet that and pass that along. But I just don't do it because I'm like, who am I doing this for when I know people have just shut down? They've just turned it off. They can't see it. I'm sure like all these people follow me, old colleagues, I'm on mute for all of them. They can't read it. They can't see what I'm saying. It just starts to erode their system. And I, I get it. I get it. Why would you want something that makes your day less pleasant? Why would you want to be interrupted in your emotional comfort? Why would you want to? Unless you cared more about believing what's true than what's comfortable. But I just don't think most people do. I, I've been talking less about this stuff, but I still feel it. I still care. I mean, I talk about it on this podcast, but like on Twitter, I still care. I still, I will never forget the people who tried to harm my reputation, cost me my job, who accused me of, of murdering people. I mean, this is public. This is, not, this is not something you do lightly. I will never forget any of that. I will not forget it. But I don't talk about it as much as I used to, the, the Twitter and, and pointing out the totalitarianism and the authoritarianism. I don't do it because people's brains have just shut down. It doesn't matter what the facts are. They don't see facts as facts. And another actually Ted Bell thread, he was, he was going off on this Yahoo senior editor who wrote this hit piece on, on Ron DeSantis. And it was just factually incorrect. And he was using bad data. You know, it's like the guy just didn't care about that. And I was thinking he doesn't care because again, the facts aren't really important in this case. It's not, his job is to be public relations. He's like a public relations lackey for the oligarchy. So like, whether it's true, whether it's technically right, it doesn't matter. He's, his job necessitates for him being that guy who has to belong and has to pass this stuff along. It's just what his actual real job is. It's not news. It's not journalism. It's just a bit frustrating because language doesn't work anymore when the emotions are in place, when this belief system is in place. It doesn't work. It doesn't matter. You can read threads and be so satisfied, like, yeah, this is just so true. This, look at this data. It just came in and proved what I was saying. And it doesn't matter. You're not arguing like that. It's, it, the words that you use are just, they just see everything as tribal warfare. They're just trying to cling to something. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the meaning of words anymore. It's just, this is not, it's not relevant to these people. I think a lot of people like you give up on, but I saw a great article by uh, Naomi Wolf, who's been deplatformed. And I think she was deplatformed because she's like a big women's health writer. And she started writing about the, how the uh, mRNA shot screwed up women's menstrual cycles. And then she got canceled for that and pushed back. And then everybody shunned her. And she wrote a, a great piece on Substack, which I highly recommend. I put it in my Twitter at Chris underscore list. You can see it. And how just like the, these people that she used to, go to parties with and host at parties and all these sort of rising star journalists and politicos and entrepreneurs that she knew and how they enabled authoritarianism and just basically took a bribe, like whatever it was that helped them get along professionally and socially, they were willing to say it and they were willing to censor and shut down dissent and basically just completely excommunicated her. I mean, she's just talking about her new life, how the people that she's with around her table now will, will be people of honor. And I thought it was a great piece. And I, I feel it wasn't as bad for me as it was for her, but I lost a lot of respect for a lot of people. It's just, you have to have honor. You have to have principles. You have to have a sense of fairness, even when there's people you disagree with. I mean, you don't have to, right? I mean, people didn't, but 
in my opinion, if you want to live any kind of life that's worth living, you have to. Principles, integrity, you have to have honor. You have to be a person of honor. And she wrote, that's who's going to be around her table. People who didn't just sacrifice their honor. Easy for me to talk because the consequences for me were, were relatively minor. A bunch of virtue signaling coming at me to try to dunk on me and stuff. It's unpleasant, but I had great partners that I, I never sit worried about losing my job and we sold the company. And, you know, so I never really, I didn't really suffer in any sort of actual way, but the intent was there. You know, they were, they were trying to hurt me and I, I never got an apology from those people. And I think that they never will give me an apology, even though they know they were wrong. I mean, they were dunking on me because I was opposed to mandates, which clearly was something that doesn't stop the spread and has all these side effects. I and mean, even if you don't believe the side effects, clearly there's not been a long-term test. They're still using the EUA one. They're not using the one that was approved. And they won't apologize because they don't believe they should apologize because it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter that I was right on the facts or they had no idea about science and no fucking idea what they were talking about. That doesn't matter because those things like science and, and, you know, trust the science and the experts, that's not what they mean by any of that stuff. They just mean, this is my tribe and I'm doing, I'm saying the words that my tribe says, I'm doing the chant, the incantation before the battle that my tribe, I'm doing the dance. And none of this stuff actually means what it purports to mean. So it doesn't matter that I could go in and be like, look, see, you said this and you're wrong. They won't be like, oh shit, I was wrong. And I tried to embarrass you and destroy your reputation in front of everybody we knew and our mutual colleagues. They don't care. They just, it doesn't matter to them because again, it, this is all just part of the game. It's all, it's all in the game. Like Omar said, it's all in the game. So I just wanted to point out that. Uh, so I'm probably going to still talk about this stuff, but if I talk about it less, it's because... I realize I'm not, I'm not persuading people who the, the English language doesn't really function in the same way that it did for them anymore. And again, I could, you know, name names and, and get, you know, personal, but A, I don't, I think it gives them too much respect. They don't deserve it. And B, um, there's no greater punishment than being a person with dishonor who sold out values and principles for what, for a couple of Twitter likes, for people thinking that you belonged a little bit more. It's, it's, it's a meager payoff to be bought off so cheaply, just pathetic. It's embarrassing. That's that. The other thing, I wrote a new piece. I wrote another one that I already talked about, but I wrote, actually, I think I wrote this after my last podcast. So there's two. So one of them was called The License. And basically, I needed to get my Portuguese driver's license because after 180 days in Portugal, uh, expats, people, residents are supposed to get a license. The problem that I was having was that I didn't want to take a test because A, I didn't read or speak Portuguese very well. And B, I didn't drive stick shift. And almost certainly the test would be on a stick shift because like all the cars here are stick shift. So I was kind of just not driving much because we had a stick shift. And so Heather was mostly driving unless we rented an automatic one day. But we now lease a car and it's a stick. And if you're wondering why we did that, it was like literally like two thirds of the price. So I was kind of learning to drive stick shift over time. But at the time I, I couldn't, two years ago, I, I couldn't drive it at all. But then Heather during COVID applied for her Portuguese license. And because of COVID, they didn't have these in-person appointments or tests. And she was able to just get it. So I thought, oh, that's good. Let's do this while COVID rules are still in place. Or in fall of 2020, we had to uh, contact the DMV in California, get an apostille, some official documentation of my records and send those. And they can only send it to Heather's mom. And she has to mail it to us to get a, uh, a health checkup quickly, you know, that I'm fit to drive. So this is December of 2020. And Portugal at that point was literally the number one country in the world in per capita COVID cases. And this is when we still cared about not catching COVID. Like we weren't 
socializing indoors or, or dining indoors at restaurants. And the, the appointment to see the doctor for this purpose was in this dank basement of this building, this old building with really bad ventilation. And I'm in there like, you know, we all have masks on, which I knew they didn't work even at the time. But I'm sitting there in the basement with like 20 people in this small space. And I'm like, this is fucked. I'm going to get COVID. So finally, after like half an hour, I get called in. You know, she gives me an eye exam. And, you know, three minutes later, she says, okay, you got it. And like a week later, I was like fatigued for three days, really, really tired and had this weird feeling. And, and then a couple of months later, I tested positive for COVID antibody. So I actually think I caught COVID to get this, this uh, driver's thing, but I don't know for sure if that was the time because I never got tested at the time. So then we sent all our stuff in and we get no response. But then there were like articles saying that it was totally dysfunctional. The IMT, which is the Portugal DMV, dysfunctional and people were delayed more. And then like a year goes by and I was like, Heather, you got to email you got to email these guys because something's fucked. So she gets in touch with them and they're like, oh yeah, your file is incomplete because the attachment was too large for us to process. And didn't tell me that. So get all this stuff again, apply again, no response for a couple of months. So we respond back again. Turns out they did respond, but it was my illicit rotowire address last spring, which was defunct in February. So I never got it. So they're like, okay, yeah, you're good. But your, your health exam, the one that I got COVID for probably, too old. So you have to get another one, but I could do it online. So I did it online. That was like 15 bucks. Get that. And so then everything's kind of getting lined up, but we're emailing no response. Then over the summer, we're emailing and trying to get an appointment. Finally in August, they were like, yeah, you can just go to the office. Your file's ready. Just go to the office, get your picture taken. You can get the license. So we go to the nearest office, like half a mile away, walk over there. And there's a sign up saying the office has moved. So we walk another half mile to a new office and it's so crowded. There's no way we can get an appointment that day. And Heather's like, oh, I think you're going to have to wake up and like get there at like 6 a.m. and like camp out. And then you only have to wait an hour. And I'm like, fuck that. So I, my shitty Portuguese, decided to handle it myself, get in touch with the contact that was emailing us. And she says, first off, you got an appointment in August, but you didn't. It got sent to my old email again. We reiterated the new email. And then she got me a new appointment September 9th. So I'm like, great, don't need to take a test, which I could maybe pass now uh, driving. The written one would still be tough. And then Heather's casually having this conversation with a friend of hers on Thursday, September 8th, the day before, somehow the license comes up and Heather's friend says, oh, you know, as of July, you don't need to get a Portuguese license. They, they totally accept US licenses now. California license is fine. <laughs> and we're like, what the, f you know, seriously? And she's like, you still want to go to your appointment? And I'm like, yeah, I want to go to the appointment. I got to get this done. And so we went to the appointment and it was pretty easy. It was like 15 minutes. And, and, and then they took my California license, which I thought they might. And I was like, can I please have this back? I mean, this still works. And they're like, no, once you get this. And then I pay 30 bucks for the picture and all that. And then they just gave me a piece of paper. You know how you get with your US license. And usually in a couple of weeks, it comes in the mail. They're like, it'll come within the next six months. So now I've got a piece of paper doesn't really help me much in the U.S., although I'm sure it would be still legal in the U.S. and I'm still in the books in the U.S. No actual uh, laminated license card. And for what? Just to finish the task. I mean, literally the whole premise upon which the mission had been based was yanked right out from under me. I was rugged right in my face. I knew there was no point, And yet I did it anyway. I wanted to finish. I wanted to accomplish the license. And what does that say, right? Like I'm holding on to a belief. I'm holding on to like a, a mission that has that I know, I'm, I know you could ask me, I would say, no, there's no purpose in this, but just to finish the mission. And you wonder, you know, I look at other people who like believed all this COVID bullshit, all this get your booster and 2016 election was fixed by Russia collusion. You know, imagine being so invested in these beliefs 
And even if you see facts to the contrary and having to renounce them because the facts are wrong. I saw facts to the contrary. There was no reason for me to get the license. And I refused to renounce my mission because I had invested in it. Now, I laugh about it because it's low stakes. It's a, it's a driver's license. I can get another one sent to me from the DMV, although that defunct email address is giving me problems with that, but I'll work it out. But that's not like a big problem. But if I was so determined just to like hold on to that mission, even though it was totally pointless, like what else is happening? And then it made me think like, imagine like you have a mission that you agree that you sort of committed to it as a child, as a three-year-old, you know, get love from your parents, do this thing and you'll get love from your parents, be this kind of person because this is what you need to be play the victim because this gets me attention, whatever the mission is. And you may not even remember choosing that mission. And now not only is it a pointless mission that's undermining you that you're on, but you don't even know that you're on it. So not only did I not renounce a mission that I knew for sure was pointless, that I could conscious of completely, imagine how hard it is to let go of missions that you're not even aware that you're on, that you, you're not even aware are pointless. So I understand, I understand. I got the license, I did it. It was stupid and I did it, but I felt like I did it eyes open and I felt like I could cut myself some slack. And I hope that that was just an, a one-time indulgence and not you know, more indicative of other missions that I'm on that I should really be getting off of that, that I'm still holding on to. That was one piece. I've got another piece that I'm working on. I just had this idea that say we decided to evaluate the truth value of a, of a proposition, of a statement and give it a one if it's true and a zero if it's false. So if I say the sky is blue, that's a one. Say the sky is red, that's a zero. Okay, so ones are true statements, zeros are false statements. But let's say I say everything I tell you is a lie. Well, if it's, if it's true that everything I tell you is a lie, then that statement that everything I tell you is a lie is true. But then everything I tell you is not a lie because I just told you the truth, so it's false. But then if it's false, then everything I told you is indeed a lie. So it's true again. But if it's true again, then everything I told you is not a lie. So it's, so it's false. So we start going back and forth. So basically this thing oscillates from zero to one, truth to false. As soon as it becomes true, it becomes false. As soon as it becomes false, it becomes true. And it oscillates, you know, like a sine wave up and down, up and down, zero to one, zero to one, zero to one. It's not one or zero. It's an oscillating wave between the two. And I started thinking about it that maybe there's some things like sky is red, sky is blue, where it should get a zero value or a one value. And there's other propositions that should get a different, you know, it's sort of a, a third kind of thing. It's not true or false. It's an oscillating truth. And I'll give you a kind of an uncontroversial one is the uh, efficient market hypothesis basically holds that anything in the stock market or the fantasy football draft or anything is totally priced in. Like all the information is priced in. So whatever the stock is trading in, that reflects all the buyers and all the sellers with all the information in the world. And you basically cannot beat the market because the market's efficient. It has all the information that in you can get lucky for a bit. You could take on risk and get lucky. But over time, luck obviously evens out and you're never going to beat the market because it's totally efficient. That's the efficient market hypothesis. I was thinking, well, that is plainly true and plainly false. This is one of those, everything I tell you is a lie thing because Think about it. The, the, the theory behind this is there's good information. There's so much information going into the market price of a stock, especially a stock like Apple, like a widely traded one where so many people are buying and selling it simultaneously, that it's very hard to beat that. But that assumes that you have all these people who don't believe in the efficient market hypothesis. Every one of these people thinks they're more clever than the market, more clever than each other, and they're all independently 
deciding at what price to buy and sell and trade Apple at. If all those people individually are coming up with their own decisions, then collectively, that is a lot of information that's going into that share price. And I would agree that it may not be impossible, but it's going to be very, very hard to beat that kind of a market. But contrast that with a market where everybody's in passive index funds. Nobody's making a decision. There's like a couple hundred or maybe a thousand fund managers trading these things. There's not millions of people making decisions. They're just all in index funds. That's not that much information. It's far fewer people making the decisions. It's everybody in groupthink. And when you have groupthink, you don't have the wisdom of crowds. You just have everybody doing what the crowd is doing. And so in that case, the, the efficient market hypothesis must be false. It, it can't be right. So paradoxically, when everybody believes the efficient market hypothesis and just says, I can't beat the market, I'm going to be in index funds, the efficient market hypothesis is totally wrong when everybody believes it. But when nobody believes it, when it's debunked, when everyone realizes that thing got my, me killed and nobody believes it, everyone starts thinking for themselves, then suddenly the efficient market hypothesis starts trending toward one again. It starts becoming very persuasive. It starts having a lot of valid inputs of information, a lot of signal in there, and it becomes more true. So I would say the efficient market hypothesis is like everything I say is a lie. It's an oscillating truth. It's not class one or two. And so people argue about no, the, mar the market's efficient. You can't beat it. Yes, I can beat it. It's not efficient. But maybe they're arguing something that's an oscillating thing. And I think similarly, we, we have arguments over trust experts. Don't trust, trust experts. Vaccines are safe. They're not safe. The science is blah, blah, blah. And I think you got to figure out where I think this is another type three. It's another oscillating truth thing. Yes, if there are tens of thousands of scientists independently researching and there's no pressure to conform or minimal pressure to conform and dissent is not squelched and everybody can air different views and institutions aren't captured by large corporations. Yeah, I think, I think the, uh, the expert advice is going to be a lot better. It's going to be a lot more reliable. But when these experts are punished for coming up with research that countervails the narrative, when they lose their jobs, when people who espouse the narrative are rewarded. Now you're going to have a group think, and just like the efficient market hypothesis is going to be very likely to be false. So instead of arguing whether you should trust experts, and I, I think even in the worst scenario where they're captured, I think that you should still make individual decisions. And even in the best situation where they're independent, I think you should still evaluate their claims for yourself. I mean, I don't think these are, these are absolutes, but just generally speaking, where your presumption is, I think depends on where we are in this sine wave. You know, if we're, if we're near one, I think we're near one when, it, when there's no pressure to conform, when there's nobody telling you how you should think, when nobody's bullying you and firing you to take this job, then you, you might want to really consider what they're saying. But when there's huge pressure to conform, huge capture, I think that the, the value of these experts and the people that are uh, being basically bribed to align with the narrative is zero. It may be negative, you know, maybe to a point where you should do the opposite because they're obviously just trying to force you to do something. There's, there's no science involved. There's no independence of thought. So I'm just talking about how there's, there's things that are true, things that are false, and things that are oscillatingly true and false. And that latter category is a lot of things. I think we mistake things in the third category, like trust experts, as a, as a category one thing. And I think it's a category three thing where it depends. It depends on where we are as a society on this curve. And so I just think that's sort of a, a way to put it. And 
I just kind of finished off by saying there's like some old sayings. A friend of mine mentioned this to me a long time ago. I remembered it. There's sayings, right? That are truisms, things like absence makes the heart grow fonder. That sounds true. Like, you know, you miss somebody, but out of sight, out of mind. Oh, they're not around. I don't think of them anymore. So those things are totally the opposite of each other, but they're both true. And I would suspect that it's depending on the oscillation of the relationship or the situation. Another one is birds of a feather flock together, right? That's obviously true. People who have who are like-minded or similar tend to congregate together. But then there's opposites attract. Total opposite of that state. They're both true. Again, I think these are good examples of how there are a lot of oscillating truths. Anyway, I just think that it's just an interesting way to look at it and why we have problems. We are arguing things as though they're true-false when they're really this sine wave of repeating true and then false depending on situation. And the interesting thing about the efficient market hypothesis and, and some of these other things with experts is the more people trust experts, the less trustworthy they are. The more people think the market knows better, the, the more it doesn't know better. The more people trust themselves, the, the more the experts become trustworthy. It's paradoxical that believing in these things actually undermines them and not believing these things actually makes them more likely to be true. So, all right, that's probably it. I've got a bunch of football stuff. I don't know if I'm nervous for this test. I'm actually uh, trying to see it as, uh, I think I should pass, but I'm trying to see it as like an absurd, fun thing, Portuguese language test. And I, I'm pretty sure that it's going to take a year and a half to actually get the passport. And I bet by then Portugal will drop out of the EU and just say, if you've been here long enough, you get the passport anyway, and, and it'll be pointless. But at least it's helped me brush up on my Portuguese a little bit. All right. I think that's it. Till next time.